This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindari Wall. And this is The Loop. Last week, the Tecumlups to Shaquetmuk First Nation announced preliminary findings, uncovering the remains of 215 children buried in a mass grave at the site of the former Kamloops Indian Residential School. It's horrific. Uh, and I want to encourage anyone who needs it uh, to reach out for help right now. And also to recognize that this episode of the show might not be for everyone at this moment. A national Indian residential school crisis line has been set up to provide support for former students and those affected. Emotional and crisis referral services can be accessed by calling the 24-hour national crisis line. And that's one 866 925 That number is also in the show notes this week. So you can find that right under the episode description. But we do need to talk about it. This story has really taken over the country, raising questions about how we talk about residential schools and how we reckon with our history of cultural genocide in Canada. And the truth is, this is something many of us never had to learn in schools. But Indigenous people have known this and have been telling the rest of us for years. After the news broke from Kamloops, communities across the country have come together to remember and to mourn including members of four bands who came to Masquachis. Just steps from the site of the Ermanskin Residential School, people lined the powwow arbor with 215 teddy bears. We're going to be sharing some of the voices that gathered there. You'll hear from Elder Willie Littlechild speaking at the ceremony with music from Northern Cree. Also included are the voices of Louise Amuso, Samson Cree Chief Vernon Saddleback, and Samson Cree Counselor Catherine Swampy. So maybe we too have an obligation to find out and make the words true that every child matters. So thank you for your compassion and your strength and your love, your dedication to do this tonight for children we didn't know four days ago. But we know them now. Ex can ask them now. Hi, hi, thank you very, very much. Growing up and knowing about this, it was hard when you realize why we are the way we are. Well, some of the peoples. And even myself, I went to school in grade five at this school. I used to go to town school. I went here. And we were playing on a hill just right by where they said the monument was. And I remember coming back and the older kids were saying, you guys were just playing on a grave. And to this day, we don't know if that's, this is the same thing we're going to go through with the Erminskin School, like what the chief little child has stated. We never did our search. They, they found the four skeletons in the foundation of the school when they tore, tore it down. But is that hill really a gravesite? I 
think what's happening is, is as we get older, like, I, I mean, I'm 57, and I was in residential school till grade four, till they closed it, you know. My son doesn't know residential school, you know, but he knows the effects, you know, because both my parents died from alcoholism. They both struggle. We struggle with loss of language today. So my son feels the intergenerational trauma that has come from residential school. So for us, you know, as, as a parents, but like my role, keeper of the stories now, right, I got to show my son this is important. You know, what happened to us as a people. And it's not about staying stuck in the past and re-traumatizing ourselves. It's about trying to figure out what happened to us. You know, what happened? And to learn lessons and bring them forward. You know, like how, how are we going to keep our language now? Because now it's up to us to figure that out today. You know, we got, at some point, we all got to take responsibility for our existence now. And that's what I try to teach our kids. That, you know, it happened, but now what? I, I, I'm not one of those people that wants to stay stuck in the past. I want us to learn our lessons and try to be better people going forward. You can't change what happened to you. We can't change this. History happened, right? But you can't control how you feel about it. And, and that's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Is, okay, it's now up to us to decide what are we going to do about this? How are we going to control how we feel? You know, and, 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 and for me, I, I take that to heart. I'm going to be keepers of the stories now. And it gives me great comfort knowing that. Um, well, I think the next steps, uh, you know, for leadership is to keep, uh, keep uh, both the federal and the, and the provincial governments to task, you know, about, about history. If we don't fight them to have your voice heard in history, you're, you're doomed for extinction, you know. And, and, and so for us as, as First Nations people, our, our, our job is to try and make sure that, that we're not forgotten in the history books. I am a mother of 11 children. I have five biological children and several of my nieces and nephews uh, were being placed in homes with Children Family Services and I've taken them home with me and they are now my children. Many of them have grown up and since moved out of my house. I have a house of six kids and when I think about the amount of children that were found uh, in Kamloops, when they discovered the graves of 215, they did make reports of 51 of those children, which tells me that they probably didn't intend on anybody finding the rest of those bodies. They were placed there knowingly and, and they were not meant to be found and we found them. And it breaks my heart to think about these small children that were taken from their parents, taken from their families and placed somewhere where they couldn't be loved and they went through the types of emotional and physical abuse and sexual abuse and the amount of neglect they must have gone through but for them to not report those deaths means they didn't want them to be found it's so important for us to remember and to have events like this for healing it's amazing when you think about how everything possible was thrown at Indigenous peoples to kill us off. And we're still here. And you hear our languages and our dances and our drums, our prayers, our ceremonies, everything that we did that they, they tried so hard to remove. And it's so important that we hold on to it today and we keep it alive because it means they failed.
A lot of conversations have been had about what we know, uh, about what we don't, what's been taught to people as the story of Canada and what's been left out. And Min, we were mm-hmm. talking about it this week as two non-Indigenous people. This it wasn't really part of our education. No. Yeah, it, it certainly wasn't. And before I, I talk about that, I just that, – that ch- the chunk of tape that we just heard, yeah. um, I was working on Wednesday and, and you know, you get busy with whatever role you're working in. I was in the studio with Rod and, and – uh, and it's almost as though I stopped doing what I was doing because it was just so powerful, yeah. right? Just hearing some of those comments, you know, why we are the way we are, um, you know, what happened to us, kill us off. Like, like I, I, I don't even know how to, uh, you know, explain what kind of emotion I felt, but I, I, I was listening. And just that emotion, you know, um, from these people. It talking. struck you. Yeah, it, it absolutely struck me. And, you know, thinking about the generations of Indigenous families that, that have had to uh, go through this, that have been forced to suppress their feelings uh, about this. And, um, you know, I, I hope this is a start uh, of some healing for them and, and to get them on the path to, to healing. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that tape was uh, something else. And, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to think about uh, going through elementary and junior high school and, and, and high school in the public system and not learning about this stuff. You was know? it ever mentioned, do you think? Do you remember? I, I'm, I'm sure maybe it was a little bit, but uh, not yeah. maybe as much as of a focus as, as we should have had, you know, about yeah. these types of things that was going on. And, and it makes me question the curriculum back then, who was in charge, why these things, uh, some of these um, items weren't talked about more seriously. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm certainly um, confident that that is changing now. Just looking at my own kids, uh, 11 and 15, and the knowledge that they have and, um, uh, you know, uh, the caring that they have and the empathy that they show towards uh, indigenous communities and the things that they've gone through in the past, as well as other communities who are uh, dealing with injustice and inequality. So yeah. um, it's it's good to see uh, you know younger Edmontonians, younger Canadians um, aware of that. Yeah, there has been changes, and we're even seeing more discussions in the curriculum now, more calls to include indigenous history and contemporary uh, mm-hmm. dynamics in Canada. And you know, the thing about this is, I think. Many of us are coming to terms with what you said, the fact that we were not taught right. any of this in school, or at least not in a way where it actually stuck. And at the same time, many of the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities across Canada have known about this and they've documented it, most recently and prominently in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But of course, this week has brought about reactions across the board, uh, including mm-hmm. uh, Premier Kenny weighed in on history and cancel culture in a COVID presser this week. If the, the new standard... Um, is to cancel uh, any uh, figure in our history associated with what we now rightly regard as historical injustices, then essentially that is the vast majority of our history. Instead, I think we need to learn from it, to learn from uh, both uh, the greatness, the audacity of vision, and the generosity of spirit of of, uh, former leaders. It was John McDonald who proposed extending Uh, the franchise, including to First Nations people, long before that was popular, and to women. What those ideas weren't accepted at the time. But that's an example of the complexity of those historical figures who operated in a radically different time. So I I really think it's inappropriate to focus on one or two uh, figures. If we want to get into a debate about cancelling Canadian history, we need to understand that it means all of our history. And I think think that, uh, that kind of destructive spirit uh, is not 
really the spirit of reconciliation. So that's kind of the other side of this. We're talking about right. history. We're talking about knowledge. We're talking about what we learn. But once you learn these things again, how do we move forward? And and part of that is this conversation about renaming. Yeah. And this is where the idea of cancel culture comes in. But how, how do you recognize when you know that this historical ju- injustice has been around? And these conversations, they've been going on in Edmonton for a while, right? Yeah, they certainly have. And I, I mean, here's Here's the, here's the thing. Like, I mean, I lived in the community of Oliver for years. We mm-hmm. lived there uh, a block away from the school. I didn't know who Frank Oliver was. I didn't, uh, you know, know what type of person he was. Maybe the onus was on me to find out. But, you know, every move, every neighborhood you move to, you're not going to look up. Well, maybe now you are yeah. uh, to find out what's going on. And there's certainly people that I think do do that now. Uh, mm-hmm. To find out what the history is, you know, I, I've caught the LRT uh, for years and gone by Grandin Station and, and yeah. seen that exact mural. And now, you know, residential schools and uh, what they mean to certain people in our communities hits differently for me now, right? It hits differently for me, yeah, right. So, uh, you know, growing up in Mill Woods, went to junior high at Dan Knott. And once you open your eyes, right? Yeah. You see I, how but many? we went for, we went there for years. Generations of kids went mm-hmm. went through that school for years and had no idea, right? Yeah. It's not something that was discussed uh, even 20, 30 years ago in Edmonton, at least not amongst myself and my friends. But, um, you know, I think that is all changing now, right? And I'm glad that these conversations are finally happening. And, you know, not every school is being renamed. Not every monument is being torn down. But I think the ones uh, where the discussion warrants it, I'm open to hear that discussion. Mm -hmm. And and if that person, whoever it is, um, you know, did, did some wrongs, uh, to a number of people back when they were in power, then then why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. Why wouldn't you have that discussion and listen to people who are affected by that? And and of course, all of this conversation, I know it triggers people. And, um, you know, I, I've seen some examples of that uh, just even a couple of days ago working on the afternoon show. Uh, we played that uh, tape from uh, Masquachis. And uh, this person said, you know, they're tired of hearing all the bad things that their forefathers did. And had done and that they're tired of being blamed for it and they don't want to have to spend their entire life having to pay for it. And so I would argue, you know, the people that were wrong done by and and the generations of their families who have suffered because of it, you know, and the burden that comes along with that. What do you say to them? Right. Mm-hmm. What do you say to them? They, they're they living it. And in some cases, some people are dead because of it. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I think this conversation is going to continue, but I think it's, it's a healthy conversation that needs to happen. And, you know, uh, if it helps people heal, then, then so be it. Yeah. And that idea of healing and it's, it's these conversations, they are moving forward, right? I mean, mm-hmm. part of what we're seeing now is uh, I, I like to think the beginning of change in the city about these conversations becoming more open and more inclusive to people of all stripes, right? Yep. Businesses, organizations, all over communities and the works with it, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's starting and, and people in places are choosing to drop these historical names. Yep. Uh, Kyla Cazell is the owner of Grand and Fish and Chips on 109th Street, and she is one of those people who's made that choice and joins us now on the loop. Hi, Kyla. Hi. So I'd love to know what kind of conversations were you having as a business owner after what we learned last week about the Kamloops Residential School? We've known for a while about the wrongdoings of Grand and Frank Oliver. It has been quite active on social media. And so though at the time when we named our business Grandin, which was five years ago, we didn't know. But more recently, it had definitely come to our attention. So we'd been chipping away to save funds to do a rebrand. But then that was just really pushed 
forward completely quickly by the findings of the victims from the Cambridge Residential School, and that's when we decided, okay, we have to we have to do it now. And then another factor was that we were um, waiting for because the grounding community. I mean, I hope that they make that change, and we were waiting to see if there was any movement on that because we did want to continue to be named after the community, but it's a very difficult process. So we're going out on our own. When it first was brought to your attention and you learned about kind of the history of this name and what it meant, what crossed your mind? Do your research. Like, we'll, we'll definitely take accountability for the fact that we did not research that name. Like, it's our neighborhood name. We own a restaurant. Two doors down. We love the community of Grandin. There's lots of other businesses in our train station, Grandin School, you know, and we didn't even think to think five years ago about that. And I think a lot of things have changed in the last five years. Like we would definitely not not do our, <laughs> that's a lot to say, our research going forward for like a different name, but I would definitely take accountability for the fact that we didn't, we didn't look. Yeah, five years ago, I can't say that I remembered some of these conversations coming to light in the same way. When it comes to a rebrand and a renaming, what does that actually mean for your business? Can you talk to me about all the different ways that adds up? First of all, our names, we have to change it. And then we have to redo our logo and then our website. We have a beer, the brew with analog brewing. Like, so we have to change all the branding, redo the beers. We have a gift card. Social media is not so much, but beyond the changing of the name, it's also the awareness that now we've changed our name, right? Because we're also mid-pandemic. So we're not, we're way behind. And our whole thing through this pandemic, and we've actually been very fortunate to scrape up the funds to do this rebrand, though we're going to do it because it's very important. We believe in it. Um, it's not, not a question, but it's definitely going to be tricky to maneuver financially. Yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah. I, I mean, you're far from a new kid in town when it comes to Edmonton's business community. You've got quite a lot under your belt and some accolades as well. A choice like this, I think, is uh, it's pretty significant, right? This isn't an easy decision to make. It's never wrong to do what you perceive to be the right thing. I mean, I think that, in our opinion, this is the right thing to do, and I think it will pay off for us, even emotionally and personally. We need to feel good about what we're doing. Like, at the very foundation of it, like, I don't feel good about having a business that's named Grandin. We have Indigenous employees, so they don't feel good about coming into work with that name and wearing a shirt that says that. Financial things, money, whatever, like... Those things will follow. Definitely, it's a risk and a cost, and people have established names, and but you want to rep- be represented by that name. It's bad energy, like in the universe, and it's just it's hurtful and traumatic. But you have to look out more than yourself when you're in a business and you're part of the community. You know. Well, and looking at that specific kind of community, that block really that you're on, right? You know, the city's plan, they've said in a statement that they're working with stakeholders, including Indigenous elders and residential school survivors to provide guidance on Grandin LRT station regarding, you know, renaming murals, interpretation. What kind of change do you think a new name could bring to your very kind of close community right there where you have three businesses? I can't even see how it could be bad. I think it needs to happen. And I think that it needs to happen for people to move forward and change. This isn't just Grandin or Oliver or Churchill or whatever. This is a national and an international situation. Like We're open to change and we're happy to be somebody that's going to lead it and start the conversation, take the plunge. Speaking of starting that conversation, Monday, you announced this on social media, the plan for a name change. What kind of responses did you get? Really great. Actually, the only we had one email that said 99% of people don't know about this. Why are you bothering to change your name? 
like I posted on Instagram and I think it was shared close to 600 times. Yeah. Have have you decided on a name yet? Were there any suggestions coming through? Yeah, I think we have one. And it's actually really interesting. Um, So our original logo was done by a fellow called Chris Provins, and he is part of Studio Bramble, but it was formerly called Oliver Apartment. And so they actually rebranded almost a year ago because of obviously Frank Oliver is another person that has done a lot of harm to like our Indigenous community. And um, they were really progressive and did it really quickly. And so they're going to do our rebrand. And I think they're going to like help us to like get it done pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, mentioning Studio Bramble, formerly known as Oliver Apartment, there has been some Edmonton businesses that have gone through this process. You're now joining this kind of small club. How open do you think Edmonton's business community is to making these changes forward in reconciliation and the past that our community has? I would hope that they're open because when you're a business, you're serving a community. I mean, the whole community is your potential customer, your customer. So you're relying on everybody. Like you, you're not a business that just supports yourself and you're your own, your only customer. And you, you know what I mean? Like support your own values and beliefs. Like everybody has to buy in when they're choosing to support you. If you don't want to move forward or move with the times, I mean, some people won't care and that's unfortunate. But I think that more people are aware and care and are informed and through the powers of social media are being exposed to more information and they're looking to make a change. Have you heard from any other businesses? Lots of, yeah, lots of people just being very supportive. And we've had people that do branding that have reached out and offered um, to like help us do a rebrand. Lots of ideas, even from other business owners for like name suggestions. Times are changing and it's, it's good. I feel like there's a, like a ton of work to be done, but the fact that we've come some way and I think that we're going to continue to go some way. I think it's good. Edmonton's a great city and a lot of really awesome and compassionate people and we're going to see lots of positive things happen in the next little while. I'm going to hold out hope for that. I'm here to stand up to this behavior, to these comments. I'm proud of where I come from I'm proud to be from Ochapa's First Nation. And I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this for all people of color. I'm doing this for the next generation. That was Edmonton Oilers defenseman Ethan Bear, who shared a video with his girlfriend, Lanasia Ned, last week. The video addressed racist comments Bear had received on his Instagram page. Comments that were called out by Lanasia through social media. And man, this started a much bigger conversation and kind of a, a huge showing of support for Bear, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I've, I read a number of those texts. Uh, there was, of course, a rally uh, you know, on the weekend yeah. outside Roger's place. Where Ethan showed up himself. Yeah, showed up high-fiving people. I mean, it was powerful stuff. And uh, the support certainly poured in from... All sorts of people, you know, from the public, from Bear's family, um, you know, from the Oilers community. Um, And, you know, so I think it was really important to see all of that support and um, people kind of standing up for him because, you know, he's had to go through this for many years, right? It just just didn't happen last week. I mean, he's been playing hockey his whole life and this is something he's experienced that entire time. And uh, it was great to catch up with both of them uh, to talk about what happened and and about all of the support. Here's a a talk we had uh, a few days ago. 
I, I want to start talking about uh, last week. With hockey, there's losing, there's winning, there's making mistakes. You know, that's what pro sports is all about, Ethan. But uh, to get the racist backlash that you did, tell me about what uh, that was like for you. It was very tough. It's a, a pro athlete and um, you know, person who plays in the NHL. Like I know criticism is part of the game, and I have no problem taking criticism. You know, towards my own play, but when you turn it on to you know my race and my heritage and the color of my skin, that's when you, you cross the line. And you know, I think a lot of people who you know hide behind cell phones and, and keyboards, you know, were just firing off and, and a lot of uh, you know racial things, and it really hurt. It really hurt to to see that. Um, I didn't know what to do or, or how to go about it. And, um, you know, I was kind of just staying silent for a bit. And then, uh, you know, I think it was when Asia said something and stood up for ourselves. And uh, it was uh, something I hope I don't have to deal with very often. And I hope a lot of, a lot of other kids and, and other people don't have to deal with that either. I know you've been playing hockey for, you know, most of your life. Was this the first time it was as intense as it was? Uh, yeah, it's definitely not the first time, but the whole year. And um, I think a lot of it really picked up you know once I wore that crease syllabic jersey um, you know I, I go weeks started getting messages then this season in particular like everything was just so negative it was really tough as it would be and Lanesha for you I, I don't know how long you two have been together but uh, it really sounds like you kind of saw this or reacted and, and posted online and that's kind of where all the response started coming back was that a conversation you had with Ethan or was that something you just felt I need to stick up for him. We've been together for about six years, and I've seen him go from the Seattle organization to Edmonton. And once he got to Edmonton, I just kept seeing a lot of comments over the years. Seeing how hurt he was about the game four, I seen these messages and I shared it with my family and his mom. I was just kind of at the drawing point where I was like, this has to stop because this doesn't just hurt Ethan. It hurts me. It hurts our future children. It hurts. Um, his nieces and nephews, like, it It was just a point where I was like, this has got to stop. It's not fair at all. But I did discuss it with him. I showed him what I was going to post, and he said, I don't know if we should do this. I think we should take some time, and I just ended up posting it, and he doesn't have social media. Once it blew up, I had to go and tell him that, yeah, like, it's out there now. It's time to talk about it. And, Ethan, I mean... Obviously, you have dealt with a lot of this by yourself or with your family, but to have someone who uh, is in your corner, someone who loves you, uh, wants to stick up for you and, you know, is kind of helping you, you know, push back against this. What what, what did that feel like to have Lanesha's support like that? It, it means the world. You know, we've been together for a long time and she's always, you know, stands up for what's right and um, not just for us, but everybody. And she knew I didn't want to say anything right away. I wanted to, you know, let my agent and the team deal with it. But, you know, once they knew and they, no one was really acting on it right away, she just took it upon herself and, and then, you know, used her own voice. And then, um, you know, it really brought a lot of attention to it. And so, um, you know, to have that, it, it, it means a lot. You know, like, I don't know if I, if I was with anyone else, or they would have done the same thing. So I think it just shows how, how strong she is as a person and how brave she is. And I know, I know you've only been in the league a couple of years, but in the time that I've, you know, been in different locker rooms and covered the game, 
I know it it seems like to outsiders there's a, is a bit of a stay in your lane mentality that players kind of uh, adapt or are expected to follow but it, it seems like that's changing because I mean certainly this isn't the first time a player of a different color or a different heritage has faced uh, racism like that but uh, it, it certainly seems like uh, it's the first time it's been okay to speak about it or it, you know it's been it's been encouraged uh, to kind of stand up for yourself and to uh, call out people when 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 this is going on yeah, and I think so too, especially you know, with like all the racism that's been exposed in the last you know year or so with like Black Lives Matter and Asian hate. Like, there's a lot of things that are going out there. So, I, us stepping up is, and we're we're just kind of doing our part too. And as a society, I think something that we we need to you know we need to work on. And that video, I mean, uh, I think by now it's been liked over forty five thousand times, uh, retweeted over eleven thousand times. What was that like for both of you? It was very hard, you know, when, when you're trying to deliver a message as clear, clear for everyone to understand. And, and uh, it was really hard. It was challenging. Uh, you know, you got to really hold yourself together. And I think we did a really good job. You know, we, we spoke from the heart. And, you know. Yeah, it was, it meant a lot that they wanted to let us use our voice. It was very emotional to talk. And just because I think, like, ever since I was little, I've been saying that same message to all of my non-Indigenous friends. And I feel like this is the kind of moment that means and our voices are finally actually heard. We see so many people who are supporting us because of the video, and it it means the world to us. No, that's great. Um, Ethan, Ken Holland denounced it. I asked him the question during the news conference, and he said it made him feel sick. You had Connor McDavid posting his support for you and uh, denouncing the racist comments as well. You don't really see a lot of that kind of commentary from players or management on on any kind of controversial issues or political issues, but that happened last week, and I'm, I mean, I'm guessing their their words carry a lot of weight. What kind of impact do you think that'll have? Well, hopefully, a big one. You know, they're pretty well known people, so a lot of what they say gets attention from other people to listen and uh, be better. Yeah. I know that there's some leagues like the Premiership League in, in Europe and uh, even the NBA has talked about banning fans who partake in racist comments or bullying online towards players or, or just in general. I know the NHL, I think it's on their radar. What do you both think about that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't think it's right by any means, but um, definitely I think you got to put some kind of punishment to, for people who give that kind of behavior towards players. Yeah, I, I just don't think that they should be allowed in that arena um, if they're going to be acting like that and treating people like that. So um, I'm on board with that. During the video statement, you guys both talked about uh, using the platform to make positive change. Uh, I'm wondering how, how do you guys hope to do that? Well, with all the attention, I just hope to be able to educate people more and using our, our platform in order to spread awareness about Indigenous, about our our history and what we've endured and our trauma that we're still experiencing throughout generations. And especially what's going on right now with the Kamloops residential school. I had both of my grandparents attend just hearing their stories growing up and everything that's come out. It's been really heavy. And I just hope that we can both raise awareness and bring more colored people into the NHL so that we can have that discussion. Because I've gotten a lot of messages from other wives telling me and showing me messages of what their husbands have received and it's been it's been really overwhelming 
to know that they, they thank me for stepping up for a lot of the NHL players in the league who are colored. And Ethan, I know becoming a professional hockey player is, is a challenge at the best of times, but to also take on this as well and to, to make this a part of who you are as a professional athlete, it sounds like you're up for the challenge and, and is this something that you want to be known for moving forward? Yeah, I, I am up for the challenge. I, I believe I'm doing the right thing. Um, you know, I, I want to use my voice, my platform to, to help make positive change, like you said, and, and to educate people and to help out others as well. So I have no problem doing it. Um, you know, I got a good family behind me, a good lady. I'm really excited to see what we could do and, you know, to, to open up some eyes and hear some voices. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Darwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. There's always so much more to know, so you can get in the loop with us every Friday. And make sure to go to cbc.ca slash Edmonton to find out more about these stories. Yes, and if you want to get in touch, we have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. And of course, I'm on Twitter at Min Dariwal. And you can find me at Naminok. Subscribe, download the show on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.